I'm not sure how many of you uh, read the book Unbroken, maybe you saw the movie, but the book Unbroken, the, the true story of Louis Zepparini, uh, Olympic hero, got into World War II, and his plane crashed at the Pacific Ocean, he survived the crash, he and a, another guy on, the, on a raft, and then he had sharks going after them, and, and reading this book, I was like, man, this is crazy, when, when's it going to start getting better, and then he thinks he's getting rescued, and it's not from Americans, it's from the Japanese, and now he goes from, you know, losing his life with sharks, and, and, and you know, dying out in the, the, the ocean, now he's in a prison camp, you know, and then he gets picked on, and I'm, and I'm reading this book, I keep going, I turn the page, it's like, okay, is the next chapter going to get better? Is it ever going to get better? And I would turn the chapter and it just got worse. I, I feel that way with the book of Revelation. I mean, it's, it's like horrible and intense and, and all these things and the wrath of God. You know, the justice is finally hitting and it's hitting hard. And I'm like, is, is it, is it going to get any better? Let me just encourage you today. It doesn't today. It gets worse. But it does turn. It does turn for the better. So keep hanging in there. Hanging in, hanging in there. If you're joining us, we're going through this very challenging uh, book called Revelation. And if you're taking notes, uh, let me set the scene for you. The scene, the scene is this, is that the second half of the tribulation is now beginning. And Satan's days are numbered. Satan's days are numbered. So now we're, we're halfway through and, and we... we and, in Revelation 11, it talks about that the, the two witnesses that God's been using to prophesy, you know, coming events. And, and they would prophesy that, you know, that the sun's going to turn dark and it turns dark. You know, the moon's going to turn red, it turns red. You know, there's the sea, a third of the oceans turn into blood and it happens. And all the way through the first half of the tribulation, these two witnesses are in Jerusalem in the temple area prophesying and that things happen and I incorrectly stated a couple weeks ago that Satan kills these guys. In fact, what it is, it's the beast from the abyss. It's the Antichrist inspired by Satan. The Antichrist kills these two witnesses and the world throws parties and gives gifts. They hate him so much. So this signifies that event took place in the middle, but something even more dramatic is going to take place. The term, the term tribulation is then given not tribulation, but the great tribulation. The first three and a half years were bad, but now it gets worse. Now, this dramatic event halfway through has, has caused people to go, what does that mean? What does it mean? I'm going to explain it to you today. And this dramatic event was given to the, the, the prophet Daniel, and he's given some clues near the end of the book. And in Daniel chapter 12, it says this, and given to Daniel, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished or stopped, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, it's 1,290 days left of the judgment of God, the age of the Gentiles, the end of life as we know it, and then Jesus returns physically to the earth, the second coming of Christ. But he says, and I highlighted it in yellow, the abomination that causes desolation, when that happens, it's halfway to the end. There's three and a half years left. Now, over, over the generations after that Daniel wrote this and prophesied this, 
uh, Israel kept waiting for when is the abomination that causes desolation. And then, well, what is it? What is, what is so abominable to God that it causes so much uh, desolation and destruction? Well, they got a preview, kind of a foreshadowing of this in 167 B.C., 167 before Christ. What happened was Anchitus IV, the, the Greek ruler at the time, was so angry at Israel and Jewish people that he came into Jerusalem. Then he went into the temple area and to basically spit in their face as drastic as he could think of. What did he do? He erected an idol of Zeus and then he sacrificed a pig to worship Zeus in the temple. I mean, you couldn't offend Jews any more than that. And they refer to that occasion with like Anchitus the fourth, that that is the abomination that caused desolation. Now, that wasn't it, but it was, it was a preview. Jesus gives more information in Matthew 24. That's the passage when he says this, all these things are happening at the end of times and before Christ comes back. And Jesus says this, when you see standing in the temple, now it's very specific, standing in the temple, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand what's happening here. This is going to take place in the temple and then he says, then, after this happens, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. Flee, run, get out of town. And there are other verses that follow this verse there. Jesus says, and, and, and hope that you're not pregnant. Hope that you're not nursing. And, and if you're in the field, don't go home. Just leave. Run, run, run. And I'm going to explain what this is and how it's all triggered in the dramatic turn on the earth. So chapters 12 through 14 are almost like a pause in the action. We've had two waves of judgments of God, the seven seals of God, then the seven trumpets we talked about last week. And they're horrible. And they're absolutely freaky scary if we were here last week. And then there's almost a pause to kind of look behind the curtain of what's going on, has been going on with Satan, and also kind of take off the mask of the Antichrist. That's what's going to take place. Now, if you take a note, here's, here's chapter 12, big picture of chapter 12. It's a cosmic spiritual battle that culminates, meaning the spiritual battle has been going on for a long time, and now it reaches a, reaches a climax. A cosmic spiritual battle culminates. Let's begin in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment she was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, quoting from Isaiah, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, unquote. 
and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Verse 6, here's that warning. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. 30 days shy of, do the math, three and a half years. So let me explain what this is. Verse 1, it talks about a woman who, who's pregnant. And like, who is, this, who is this woman? Well, a lot of Catholics believe that that's actually talking about Mary. And, you know, and they have statues of Mary and 12 stars around her head. Uh, and let me just say that that is not accurate. That, that is, that is not, not accurate at all. In fact, uh, Mary is to be honored, all right, because of God, her role in the virgin birth. But what's happened in, in, around the world is that Mary has been elevated way beyond what Scripture says and elevated to a heretical place that Mary is like deity. And there's people around this globe praying to Mary to forgive them of their sins. That is not biblical. That is heresy. Now, the woman in this passage, I'll tell you, it represents Israel. Israel. Uh, in, in verse 1, there's some clues given. You know, the sun and the moon and the 12 stars around her head. Well, again, in, interpreting Scripture, especially Revelation, you got to go back in the Old Testament. you got to kind of do a search of where did, has that showed up before. And sure enough, in Genesis 37, Joseph is having all these dreams from God. And there were pictures of coming events, coming attractions, and he was like a cocky teenager telling his brothers, and he was like, oh, look at me, I'm in the center of this. And they hated him for it. The 12 stars is representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and out from the nation of Israel will be birthed a child. The child represents the Messiah. And in verse two, verse 5, there's a prophetic uh, scripture given talking about the Messiah and his rule, his forever kingdom rule. That's talking about the Messiah. The Messiah Israel will be give birth to a child that is a Messiah, God in a bod becoming the Messiah. Then the red dragon. Who's the red dragon? Well, it represents Satan himself. In verse 9, it's very clear. It tells what, who, the, who the red dragon is. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, it talks about how it, there's been this, this conflict ever since, you know, and, and Satan trying to kill the Messiah, you know, and it, and it goes, actually goes not just to the birth of Jesus in, in a manger, it goes all the way back to Genesis. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were deceived by Satan, God comes and gives them consequences to Eve, to Adam, and to Satan. And to Eve, he says, from your seed will come one that will crush the serpent's head. That's talking about Satan. Talking about there was coming from the seed of woman a Messiah that one day will crush Satan. And ever since that time, Satan has this hateful agenda to go after the nation of Israel and try and tried to stop, you know, the, the Messiah from coming in human, human form. And he failed and failed and failed and failed. In fact, the, the first family, you got Cain and Abel. I think Cain was Satan inspired to, with his anger, to kill his brother Abel. In fact, when God confronted Cain with his anger toward God, he says, sin is crouching at your door looking to dominate you. And that, that, that anger, I believe, comes from Satan, and he ends up killing his brother. Esau was so angry with his brother Jacob and wanted to kill him, and God had Jacob escape into the wilderness. 
When, when the Jews went to Egypt because of a famine with Joseph uh, saving the, the, really the, the family, they went from guests to like adopted citizens to slaves, to slaves. And then Pharaoh saw all these Jewish boys and the number of Jewish men growing in size and says, we got to do something about this. So he says he made a decree to let's kill all the, the new babies, baby boys of, from, from Jewish people. And Moses' parents were part of the original do not comply group. And they didn't comply to that. And they hid Moses in, uh, you know, a little basket on, in the Nile River. And God used Moses to bring his people out. So, but, but Pharaoh's inspiration, I believe, was Satan inspired to kill all the boys, the new boys. Then, New Testament, uh, in the Christmas story, Wise men from the east, I believe it's Persia because that's where Daniel gave a lot of these prophecies about a star coming, signifying a coming king. These, these uh, wise men traveled to Israel and they went to King, king Herod say, hey, we've been following the star, we've been tracking the star. That means there's a new king in Israel. Where is he? Where is he? And, and King Herod was like, what the heck are you talking about? And he says, well, when you find him, let me know so I can too worship him. Did not want to worship Jesus. And when they found out it was in Bethlehem, God directed the, the wise men to not go back to Herod. So when Herod found out that it was in Bethlehem, he went there and said, let's kill all the baby boys that have been born in this time frame. But God had already sent Jesus and Mary and Joseph down to Egypt. See, all, see Satan just constantly after the Jews, after the Messiah, after the Messiah. Then we see the Holocaust. That's satanic, inspired, killing. Now we have halfway through the, the tribulation, God is telling the Jewish people, hey, there's something happening. When that happens, run. Get out of town. Get out of town. Now, this hatred for God that, that Satan has always had, and he knows he can't defeat God, even though he keeps trying. But he takes his hatred and he diverts it to the children of God. Even to this day, followers of God. You see, when it comes to anti-Semiticism that's still around and growing again in our country, the greatest all-time anti-Semite in the world is Satan himself. Satan himself. He hates God and the people of God with a passion. So what's going to take place here, you're going to start seeing it played out in heaven. His hatred turned, turning even so more to the nation of Israel. Let's pick up in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael, that's the archangel of God, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, Satan, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a, a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their testimonies. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down, not to Georgia, but to you, earth. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. You're going to hear that song in a whole new light. He did not go down to Georgia. And he's finally kicked out. Now, what I don't understand, and I don't understand a lot about Scripture, i got a long list of questions when I get to heaven. What about this? What about that? What I don't understand, and Scripture doesn't tell us, is why, even to this very moment, Satan and his angels, fallen angels, have access to the throne, throne room of God. I would have kicked his butt out of there a long time ago. But he is there now, every day, every night, and he accuses followers of Jesus. Jesus, you see that girl? You see that woman? You saved her? Do you know what she's done? Look what she's still doing. This guy, really? You saved him? Do you see what he clicks on all the time? He's one of yours? How could you save? And he's accusing, 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 accusing. And every time Jesus, who is our advocate, is saying, they're my child. I died for them. They're my child. I died for them. But one day, he's going to get kicked out of heaven, having access no more. Could it be? That when the abomination that causes desolation happens, that that's the trigger, that God's patience is done. He's kicked out. Possibly. Possibly. Let's pick up in verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle. So that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would uh, be taken care of for a time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half years. Taken care of out of the serpent's reach. Then, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman, to sweep her away with the tor torrent. But the earth swallowed the woman, uh, or helped the woman by uh, opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus, about Jesus. In full force and in full rage, Satan goes after those in Israel but God always has had a remnant of, of Jewish people. His grace, even when they didn't deserve it. God has always had a remnant of his chosen people. And here again it says that God gave them two wings of a great eagle to take them to a place that was prepared for them. This eagle, what, what does that represent? I think it represents an Exodus 19 where God says, describing that he, as an eagle, so the Lord took care of his people out of Egypt into the promised land. That this great eagle was God himself protecting a remnant of Jewish people and taking them to a special place that was prepared for them. 
in, in verse 6, a place prepared for her by God. And then verse, verse 14 would be taken uh, to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. There's a special place that for the last three and a half years, there's going to be maybe tens of thousands of Jewish people that Satan would love to destroy and kill, and God protects them and takes them to a special place. So you may ask, where is that place? I'm glad you asked that question. Because scripture tells us, tells us. I found this out a few years ago. I was like, oh my goodness. In Isaiah, Isaiah 16, God is talking to an ancient city. Don't know how to pronounce it, the way Hebrews pronounce it. I'll butcher it in English. Selah, Selah. But it's S-E-L-A. He's talking to a city. And in verse 3 of chapter 16 of Isaiah, God tells that city what he wants them to do. He says, hide the fugitives. Do not betray the refugees. Be their shelter from the destroyer. Another title we find in Revelation as referring to Satan. He wants this city in a wilderness to hide them. Don't betray these refugees. Be their shelter from Satan himself. Well, that ancient city, S-E-L-A, that name does not exist, but that city still does exist, but it has a new name. And when I found out that name, I went, oh, I've been there. It's actually a tourist place in Jordan. It's called Petra. There's only one way to get into this ancient city, Petra, the rock, because the city is built into the rock. There is a long narrow passageway to Petra. And when you get, it's a long walk, trust me. And when you get to the very end, it starts to open up and you begin to see something that looks a little cool, a little familiar. And then when you get to the opening, that was in a very famous movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of those, one of those movies. Petra is a real city. And this is a massive area of all these livable places cut out from the rock, Petra, that was the ancient city of Selah that Isaiah talks about. You see, God doesn't like say everything, but he drops clues all throughout scripture. This is a place that I believe that God will hide and take care of the remnant of Israel the last three and a half years. In the, in the tribulation. So let's look at chapter 13, if you're taking notes. Chapter 13 is, is the Antichrist mask comes off. Comes off. Now, the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist and Daniel is a parallel book to Revelation. Daniel gives a lot of descriptions about this Antichrist. Uh, that's not his name. He's not walking around going, Hi, I'm the Antichrist. He has a name, but Daniel talks about, he, man, he is, he is handsome to look at. He is a great orator. He's a great communicator. He's a fantastic leader. First half of uh, the tribulation, he is among some of the leaders in the world. And, but he begins, begins to rise, especially early on, when he orchestrates peace in the Middle East with Jerusalem. I believe that it's when he says, somehow works it out with the Muslims, you know, with, with the Dome of the Rock, that, hey, you uh, Israel, peace, you can have your temple back. You can start animal sacrifices again. First time since 70 AD. 
And it, again, if the Jews at the time are, in the coming days are going to go, oh my God, yes, maybe he's the Messiah, but we'll take our temple back. And so he rises. But you're going to see in this chapter, his mask comes off. Because after he kills the two witnesses in the temple area, chapter 11, now he's worldwide famous. Chapter 13, the mask comes off. Let's look at verse 1. The dragon, that's Satan, stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast, always refers to the Antichrist, coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horn. You can study Daniel 7 on your own for that. It's all these different world leaders. And on each head is a, a blasphemous name. Verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast and asked, well, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was give, given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemes and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Do the math, that's three and a half years. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. A lot here. What we see in verse, verse 2, the power source for, for the Antichrist comes directly from Satan. Now Satan's here on the earth. He's been kicked out of heaven. Again, Revelation is not written chronologically. I mean, there's some things that are chronological order, but a lot of things are happening at the same time. Putting all the pieces together, I believe that, I believe, and I'll figure it out in heaven if I'm right or not, I believe the, the abomination that causes desolation is what triggered Satan from getting kicked out of heaven. Now he's here, and now this cool, suave, and beautiful-looking, you know, incredible commun communicator leader, Antichrist, now it becomes evident that his power source is from Satan itself, itself and, and people realize it. They want to follow him. The question is, is that the Antichrist or is he being possessed by Satan himself? I think he's being possessed by Satan himself. If demons can possess human beings, Satan can as well. Verse 3, we see that this Antichrist, he dies and comes back to life. It says a fatal wound. Well, if you have a fatal wound, that means it killed you. But that wound was healed. That wound was healed. Now, and, and when, when he comes back to life again, the entire globe, most of them at least, were like, oh, who's greater than him? And that's where he completely blows away the other world leaders. And then they, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, he, they just surrender their authority to him and like he's the man. Then people began to worship him. 
worship him. Now, Satan cannot create Jack. In the Hebrew, that means nothing. <laughs> but what he does, he takes what God's create, created, he's always done this, and takes what God has created and he twists it and turns it to evil. God created sex. Satan has twisted it. God created marriage. Satan has twisted it. That's what he does. But not only does he twist, he mimics God. He's not God, but he mimics God. And here at the end, he is on a mimic spree of mimicking God. And the greatest event in human history was when Jesus was buried, he was dead, and three days later he rose again. Our faith hinges on the resurrection. So Satan mimics it. The Antichrist is killed, don't know how. And Satan resurrects him to life. And I believe he fully is inside of this Antichrist. Asking for what he has always wanted for himself, worship. That's what he's always wanted. But he, if, uh, but he brings us back to life and he's mimicking God. Also, you're going to see he mimics the Trinity. The Trinity, words not mentioned, but the, the truth theology is of there's one God, but there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He mimics the Trinity. He's the Father. Father of lies, father of evil, father of wickedness. His son is the Antichrist. And then he brings up a false prophet that helps the worship of, of really Satan and the Antichrist. And that's like the false spirit, spiritual false prophet. He's mimicking all over the place. What we see here is that his true colors come out. And the Antichrist, really speaking for Satan himself, blasphemes God, just cursing up a word about God, this God Almighty and how horrible he is and all the stuff that he's done. He's blaspheming God. He slanders his name. And he slanders the place of God, heaven, and those who reside there. Because deep down, Satan has always hated God and he hates the fact that people, human beings are getting saved and going to heaven so he he mocks heaven and those there. What he does is he mandates what he's always wanted, worship. He mandates worship. Let's pick it up in verse 11. And I saw a second beast, that's the false prophet, coming out of the earth. And I, it had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. Meaning he looked all spiritual, but he spoke like Satan. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven like the Old Testament prophets to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. 
so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is six, six, six. Now, the worship of the beast is something that Satan has always, always wanted. Even back before mankind was created, there was a, a conflict in heaven. And he was gathering other angels to rally against God. And he was like, said to himself, I am like the most high God. When Jesus was here, taken in the wilderness, Satan tempted him three times. And one of the temptations is, Jesus, kneel before me and worship me, and I'll give you the world. He has always wanted it. And now he's receiving it through the Antichrist. And I believe what Daniel said and what Jesus talked about, the, the abomination that causes desolation, I believe 2 Thessalonians describes what happens and uh, where. De, uh, Paul says this, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. That day is Jesus comes back and starts his kingdom. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. I believe when he does that, that's the abomination that causes desolation, triggering Satan getting kicked out of heaven. I just killed the two witnesses that were prophesying God, I'm more powerful. Worship me. I am your God. This mandate that he mandates his worship comes with a mark. Maybe you've heard it before, the mark of the beast. That's the mark of the Antichrist. Cannot sell, cannot buy unless you have the mark. The location of the mark is given, you know, on your right hand or on your forehead. Again, Satan is mimicking again. I, one part, of, part of my research for this very challenging book is from a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Schneider, who is a follower of Jesus. He wasn't, he became a follower of Jesus, but he's a Jewish rabbi and he wrote a book called uh, Decoding Revelation. So when I read on this, it was like, oh, opened my eyes up from a Jewish perspective. And he said this, this mark of the beast is a very clear picture of the anti-Shema. The anti-Shema. Uh, let me explain what Shema is. Shema is the prayer that Jewish people pray. To acknowledge who God is. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this is the price, is that you pray, the Lord is our God and he is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and your, all your being and with all your might. And that prayer in Deuteronomy 6 says, hey, when you pray this prayer, you should write it on your right hands or write it on your foreheads. The mark, what does the Shema prayer symbolize? It symbolizes, it is a sign of my allegiance, my full, wholehearted allegiance to God and God alone. There is one God and he is a true God. That is the Shema prayer. 
And, the, and Satan is going to mimic that by going, you're going to give allegiance to the Antichrist. That he is the one and true God. And really Satan is getting it himself. You're actually, you're, you're signing away your allegiance to Satan himself. Satan himself. And it's given a number, 666. Again, it wasn't a mystery to John or people. I got, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I don't speak Hebrew. But if you understand that, as I've learned to understand it, understand, wait a second, that Hebrew letters also represent numbers. And it says if you add the numbers up of the name of the Antichrist, you get the number in Hebrew, the 666. So what people have done in the past, because the, the Caesar during this time was Nero. So if you put it in Nero Caesar in the Hebrew language with the Hebrew word letters equally numbers, Hebrews uh, Nero Caesar uh, in Hebrew adds up to 666. So whatever his name is, whoever his name is, put that name into the Hebrew language, it will add up to 666. The number of man. Man was born on the sixth day. Seven is God's number. And this is 666. I also learned, because I need help with Hebrew, that um, in Hebrew, to double a number from 6 to 666 means more. To triple the number means most. The highest allegiance to give, the most allegiance to give, to really Satan himself, that you are the one true God, adds up in Hebrew number-wise, 666. Will there be 666 on the, on the hand and the forehead? I don't think so at all. I think it's the name of the Antichrist. Again, mimicking the 144,000 Jews during the time of tribulation and their followers when they trust in Jesus. God puts a sign on their forehead with a name of God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Mimicking that, Satan says, we're going to mark their foreheads or their right hands that you have given your allegiance to your God, Satan through the Antichrist. That's why I said a couple weeks ago that the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. It's not even in the hemisphere. Now, is the world, as we get closer, tilling the soil of just do what you're told? Yes. And you can't keep your job. You can't do this. You can't play basketball. You can't do, unless you get the vaccine. Is it just tilling the soul? Yes. But it's not the mark of the beast. This is declaring, my God is Satan. And those who get the mark can never, ever, ever repent from that. They're forever damned to hell. Now, I'm not going to go over chapter 14. I'll just really quickly give you a final glimpse of this. It's, the, it's a glimpse of the final justice that's, that's, that's happening at this time. There are two harvests in chapter 14. There's, there's the grain harvest of God's people. A sickle comes and, you know, like cutting the wheat with a sickle. That God is going to harvest people who refuse to get the mark of the Antichrist. And they're going to be slain. There's going to be a harvest of God's people with that. And also there's going to be a grape harvest. In Revelation 14 talks about they're going to be put into the winepress of God's wrath. Those who are unrepentant. And that sets up the bowls of judgment. Armageddon. 
that we'll talk about. But I wanted to finish on a positive note because it's kind of depressing to me. It's heavy stuff, right? But like I talked about a couple weeks ago, God's nature is even in the midst of wrath, he keeps giving grace <laughs> to human beings that don't deserve it. In chapter 14, it says, Paul, um, John says, that I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and the springs of water. This is an example of God's grace when it, it from, goes from bad to worse, from worse to even worse. Even in the midst of that, God is sending out his creation, proclaiming the eternal gospel, the eternal good news, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the lamb who was slain to cover the sins of mankind. You need to turn to him, worship him, worship him who created all things. You're being forced and mandated down here on earth to worship really Satan himself. No, 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 no. Let me give you the gospel and all the earth hears. That's God keeps giving grace and an opportunity for salvation. Whew. Yes, God's justice is harsh. I got to talk about it. It comes about this much of the scope of history. And it, it is firm. And it's going to be final. But even in the midst of that, God keeps proclaiming the eternal gospel. Wow. Oh, if you don't know Jesus, trust him today. Trust him today. Would you pray with me? God, we give you praise. Uh, as hard as this is to read, it's definitely harder to study and to teach. But even in the midst of your great wrath and revealing really who Satan really is and who Antichrist really is, in spite of all of that, Lord, you keep proclaiming your gospel. God, draw people to yourself, even in this series. May they repent and trust in Jesus. God, thank you for telling us the end of the story. But God, it's going to get worse, then it turns. Everything's turns when Satan is finally dealt with. We ask that you'd help us to continue to understand what you have laid out for us. Thank you for loving us in spite of us being pathetic, sinful human beings. Thank you for your grace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. We say, amen, 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 amen. If you are our guest today, thank you for choosing to, uh, to be in the room or watch online. If you are in the room and our guest, um, thank you for being here today. And we want to give you a gift. If you just go to guest services, say, hey, I'm new and I hear there's a gift. There's a gift to give to you. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week. <clears throat>